Welcome back to the Everything series. So last week we talked about everything related to getting ready on the wedding day. Today we're diving into everything I can share with you about wedding ceremonies. This episode won't be specific to any certain type of ceremony. We'll talk about church, indoor, outdoor, religious, not religious, short and long ceremonies. So I won't dive deep into too many traditions, but I'm packing this episode full of tips about the flow of the ceremony, things to avoid or things that are easily forgotten, and more. Also a reminder, there's truly no right or wrong way to do any of this. The ceremony is more of a traditional section of the wedding day, but that's just going to depend on your plans. So my hope is that this episode will leave you feeling prepared for the wedding ceremony of your dreams. So thanks for listening. Welcome to Weddings in Life with Taylor Nicole, a podcast created to give advice and inspiration for anyone planning a wedding from a seasoned wedding photographer's perspective. I believe that wedding planning doesn't only have to be stressful and that it can actually be fun. In each episode, I will address topics from my professional and personal experience, and I'm excited to share my life with you along the way. My heart behind this podcast is that you leave encouraged and inspired. Thanks for listening. Okay, so welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for listening to me as I talk about all the wedding things, usually alone in my closet because it seems like there's always noises outside that make it into these recordings. So when you're listening to this, know that I'm sitting in a closet when I'm talking to you. (laughs) So I really hope these episodes are helpful for you all, especially this series. I've been so excited putting this together. I think part of the stress when it comes to wedding planning is all of the unknowns. Like, you're engaged, and then all of a sudden you jump into making all of these decisions about how this wedding day will go, but you've never actually experienced being the bride or being the groom before. So, obviously, I guess. So I hope that by listening to me talk through the whole process, and as a vendor I feel like I'm behind the scenes of the whole process a lot more than others, that this will eliminate a bit of the stress and help you make some decisions about your wedding day and feel a little bit more prepared for it all. (laughs) So something I've realized the more and more weddings I've seen is that weddings are really a cultural tradition. The best way for me to explain how I realized this is that I did an internship and I actually lived over in India after I graduated college. And I never got to attend a traditional Indian wedding in the time I lived there, but from seeing them online and wanting to attend one, I could definitely see a lot of elements of the culture that appeared in the weddings. And that what happened in those parties was just so different than the weddings that I had been to in the US. Well, in my head, the United States weddings weren't really cultural, they were just normal. But I obviously had a smaller worldview back then, and when I came back and continued photographing weddings, it really sunk in that our weddings truly are culture. It relates to our culture and what's normal for us. So if that seems weird, just think about it like this. 
we decide we want to get married, then we throw a party, inviting our guests to come witness a ceremony where we commit our lives together, followed by a dinner party. During that dinner party, we have special dances that we have everyone watch, and we do things like cutting the cake or throwing the garter or bouquet or listening to speeches. <laughs> so I guess it's just funny to see that all of the wedding day and everything that we experience is really steeped in tradition. Now, how much of that tradition is related to specifically which cultures, I'm not really sure about, and I'm definitely not an expert on the topic. However, if you think about it, the ceremony specifically is one of the most traditional and perhaps cultural parts of the wedding day. I don't really know why I shared that, but when I was writing it, it came to mind and I just thought that was a fun realization. And maybe if you're like me and you're in the world of weddings or a lot of your friends have been married or you've seen a lot recently, you can just step back and see the culture of it because it's just kind of a new way to see the whole wedding day and plans. So I've seen all sorts of ceremonies, Jewish ceremonies, Christian ceremonies of all different denominations, Catholic masses, and then not, not religiously affiliated ceremonies at all. Some of these ceremonies have more wiggle room than others. And to mention it, having the wiggle room and planning what to include and not to include in your ceremony isn't always an easier thing because that leads to making more decisions when you're planning your wedding day. But as far as having more wiggle room, like a Catholic mass is much more structured than a quick outdoor ceremony at a venue. So that's what I mean there. So what are the essential bare bones elements of a ceremony? Basically, what does it take to make it legal? <laughs> so you need the couple and an officiant. Actually, in some states like Colorado, where I'm from, you don't even need an officiant to be legally married or a witness. <laughs> and if you do use an officiant, that person does not need to be ordained. I decided to quickly Google how many states are like Colorado and don't require an officiant for a legal marriage. And I got the list of California, Colorado, obviously, Illinois, Kansas, Maine, Nevada, Pennsylvania. Oh, that's the list. <laughs> and I don't know if that means your officiant doesn't need to be ordained or you don't need one at all and you can just, two people can sign the document. So I'm not sure what all the hoops are to legally be married in all of those states, but I just thought that was a fun list to share. So as I've mentioned earlier in the podcast, like many episodes ago, I'm definitely not an elopement photographer. And I mean that as like the intimate elopements where it's just the couple and the photographer and maybe an officiant and they hike somewhere deep into the mountains and exchange their vows and it's like completely private and solemn and beautiful. Well, I think all weddings are beautiful. <laughs> But I specifically specialize in the bigger or more traditional wedding days. And these weddings take places at venues, whether that's a church, a backyard, or a special event venue. I have photographed a handful of intimate elopements, and I think they're so fun. But the majority of my wedding experience and professional experience is with traditional weddings in the U.S., mainly Colorado. <laughs> so the advice and experiences I'll share will come from that just as the backstory. <laughs> so I'm going to try to walk you through all of the ceremony advice I have written down chronologically. Actually, on my last flight with my husband, he works out of state, so we fly a lot. I, on my phone, just started to outline this podcast, so I just decided to write down all of my ceremony advice. 
So we'll see how far that goes. I listed out all the ceremony thoughts in advance, like I said, but I can't say for sure that it's all going to fall into a specific order. There might be like a random catch-all section at the end. <laughs> so let's start with the pre-ceremony. Not the getting ready, that was last episode, <laughs> but the pre-ceremony. Starting with how early should you arrive before your ceremony or to your ceremony venue? There are a lot of opinions here and it's all going to, to, to depend on your specific situation. If your ceremony is at an event venue and maybe there's a separate area where your guests gather once they arrive, then it might not be a big deal for you to arrive to your ceremony just, you know, 30 minutes before or so. Or if you're having a church ceremony, the coordinators at the church might request or even require that you be there one full hour before the ceremony starts. This is probably to make sure things don't run late with their scheduled services, and I've also seen some actual venues, just event venues, require a full one hour of downtime before the ceremony. So why, why the downtime or why arriving so early? Because this totally affects like the portraits and the things you get done before the ceremony from the photography timeline perspective. So traditionally, the guests wouldn't be seeing you, the bride or groom, in your wedding attire until you walk down the aisle. Think back to the old tradition that the first look breaks, basically the groom not seeing the bride in her dress until she walks down the aisle, or the old, old tradition of just the groom not seeing the bride. <laughs> um, so this is a similar thought process here. Now, I've seen a lot of traditions be broken or ignored, but very, very few times have I had a bride or groom that really wants their guests to see them all dressed up before the ceremony. Usually, they want their attire to remain a little bit of a surprise or secret, so that's often what I see. So the question that comes from that is, well, how early are the guests going to start arriving? It's kind of funny because I have a tip coming up that's actually about how your guests are basically always late, <laughs> but that's just a section of them, and they're also early birds, too. I'm probably more of an early bird guest. I don't attend many weddings, but as a guest, not a vendor, <laughs> but I would be an early bird. So I'd say depending on where your wedding is, your guests might arrive at different times. If you're having a destination mountain wedding that's quite a long drive for all your guests to get to, I think you could start seeing guests at your venue close to even an hour before the ceremony starts. Props to those guests because they didn't want to be late and make your ceremony start late. <laughs> so in order to avoid seeing your guests before the ceremony, or really to avoid them seeing you in that specific order, <laughs> you will need to be at the ceremony location or venue in the waiting area before your guests start to arrive. That's, like I mentioned, this is important to me as a photographer because this affects how many portraits we can finish before the ceremony and when we need to kind of pack up and go wait inside, if that's what we're planning on. So what should you do in the downtime before the ceremony? First, to be cheesy, have fun. <laughs> the ceremony is usually the very last part of the day that you might feel nervous or anxious about. After seeing each other and standing in front of all your guests making the actual commitment, the rest of the day really is a party. So if you're feeling nervous, it's all right. Just try to soak in the moments or have your friends or bridal party or family distract you if needed. And this is a good time to drink a bit of water. We don't want anyone passing out during the ceremony. 
to use the restroom, reapply any makeup or touch up your hair. And also just a side note for brides, be careful when you're reapplying lipstick if you do. You're going to have a first kiss at the end of the ceremony and I'd recommend it isn't smearing or a smudging sort of lipstick so that it doesn't get all over your future husband's face too. <laughs> I actually need to start carrying makeup wipes for this because usually during portraits, not usually, sometimes during portraits, lipstick gets shared a little bit and it's just helpful to be able to wipe that off the guy's face. <laughs> so one thing that might be added here is putting on the bride's veil. If you are taking portraits before the ceremony, the bride might already be wearing her veil, but if it's windy or the veil just isn't very comfortable, I don't think you have to wear it all day. The ceremony is probably one of the more important times of day or more traditional times of day to wear the veil, so putting it on in this time frame might work really well. And then when it comes to more religious-oriented weddings, I've seen this little free time here used for prayers. Like if the bridesmaids and moms pray over the bride and the groomsmen and dads pray over the groom, if y'all are like separated or I've seen whole groups pray over the couple if they've already seen each other and are waiting there together. Obviously, those are just optional moments there. I've also seen pre-ceremony toasts, occasionally shots. <laughs> so just to make that time fun, a lot of times this little downtime ends up being used for just last minute touch-ups, like I mentioned earlier. Next, an important point to remember, get the wedding rings to the right people before the ceremony starts. I always have this on my timeline or checklist because as the photographer, my biggest nightmare is that we come to that point in the ceremony and the couple doesn't have the rings because I forgot to have the couple take the rings off before the ceremony and they're already wearing them or I forgot to give the rings back after the detail photos and they're at the getting ready space. This has never happened before, thankfully, but it'd be a big deal, so I'm always on the lookout for it. And sometimes for church ceremonies, I've seen this a lot with Catholic masses. They actually require that the rings be delivered to the priest or person at the church early, maybe even the night before for whether that's for a blessing or safekeeping. Um, so we'll discuss also the ring bearers later on too. So another element that you could add in before your ceremony is a first touch. So basically, if you're not doing a first look and you're waiting to see each other until the ceremony, you could have your photographer and videographer set you both up around a door or a corner where you can hold hands. It's still keeping your appearance as a surprise, but it's kind of a comforting or special moment to share and to tell each other how excited you are to marry each other very soon. So you could set that up. It does get tricky when your guests are arriving to find a place where we can set you guys up around a corner that your guests don't all see you before. <laughs> and as I always like to remind people, one of the last things you should do before the ceremony is to dry off all the bouquets, the bridesmaid bouquets specifically, and also the brides. Not only do you not just want to carry a soaking wet bouquet down the aisle, but I think I mentioned this in the last episode too, I hope I did, but bouquets are normally stored in vases of water to help, keep, to help keep them fresh throughout the day. But when you pick them up and you don't dry them off, this will leave water spots right where you don't want them, specifically on bridesmaid dresses that are usually solid colors that will show a water spot very easily. So just have a towel or paper towels ready for this as you all line up for the ceremony. So that's everything I could think of in the pre-ceremony order. 
other than like decorating, which is just always going to be different depending on your specific venue and vendor team. So that'll have to be discussed in another episode sometime. <laughs> so let's talk about ceremony expectations and then we'll get into the actual order of the day. So your first expectation, your ceremony will start on time or just an expectation about when your ceremony will start. So remember when I told you that guests can start arriving close to an hour before the ceremony? Well, that's just some of them. Others might not make it on time, or they'll make it just barely on time and need to be seated as the ceremonies would be starting. In general, I see ceremonies starting between 5 and 15 minutes late, and that's usually just to accommodate the seating of guests that are arriving just on time or barely after. If your ceremony begins promptly on time, there are chances that you will have guests sneaking in during the ceremony which the distraction level totally varies depending on your venue. Like it's easy for a guest to walk in and sit at the back of an outdoor ceremony because it's just outdoors. But then if you picture like this old dark church building with creaking doors in the back with light outside, opening and closing those a lot would be a little distracting. So just an idea about when your ceremony start time will be. The next expectation is how long your ceremony will be. So one of the reasons I think couples might feel nervous about the ceremony is standing up in front of the guests for so long. In general, most ceremonies are about 30 minutes long. This depends, obviously, if you're having a specific church wedding or mass, you might have a better idea of how long your ceremony traditionally is. But depending on, for, for the ceremonies that are planned by the couple and officiant, Depending on what you have planned, that might still seem like an eternity. 30 minutes might feel really long. I'd say in general that the more people you have in your bridal party and the more people you want to be escorted or walked in, the longer your ceremony will feel or will be. So if you have eight bridesmaids and eight groomsmen and four sets of grandparents and four sets of parents that all will be escorted in before you will be, then that's going to add to the technical ceremony time but that doesn't actually add to the time that you're standing up there in front of everyone. So hopefully that helps. And if you are feeling nervous about how long your ceremony will be, you can probably talk to your officiant about keeping it shorter, just talking to them about your preferences there. The next expectation to talk about is the weather. Everyone is hoping for a clear and beautiful wedding day for you, your guests and your vendors alike. But rain hail and snow, cold, hot, and wind does happen. <laughs> I'd say for rain, hail, or snow, yes, I photographed in all of the above, you might want to consider an indoor ceremony or an alternative location for the ceremony for your guests' sake and for yours too. Soggy wedding dresses are heavy. <laughs> but unless, you're, unless your venue provides umbrellas for each of your guests, and even if they did, it would be wet seating for everyone out there, so having a backup option is pretty critical, even, a even in a place like Colorado that's sunny close to like 300 days out of the year or something like that. I see a lot of afternoon rain showers that push ceremonies back inside. It's a bummer to face at first, but it actually isn't the biggest deal, especially at the end of the day when you got married. <laughs> the last expectation I wanted to go over with you guys is the expectation of having an unplugged ceremony. Friends, I get it. I think everyone wants an unplugged ceremony. You've probably seen the nightmare picture of 
you know, the photographer's picture of the first kiss with like aunts and uncles and cousins and all the cell phones in the way and you hardly see what's actually going on. <laughs> I've battled that myself as a photographer, thankfully nothing to the extreme. But there are a couple ways to go about setting this expectation to your guests and relaying that you want to have an unplugged ceremony. And out of those couple ways, one of them is mildly successful. Yes, you heard it from me. Maybe the pessimistic side of me because I've seen so many weddings now. But the idea of people, aka your guests, willingly disregarding and disconnecting from their cell phones right now is just slim. It, it doesn't happen often. You probably need to be creative to get this to happen. <laughs> so the first method of relaying that you want an unplugged ceremony is the classic, we would like an unplugged ceremony sign or please be present. The ceremony is unplugged. <laughs> Guys, I have seen guests walk by, take a picture of that sign with their cell phones or iPads <laughs> and then go right on by and continue taking pictures on their phones and iPads throughout the whole ceremony. In my humble opinion, these signs don't work alone. Honestly, they just don't really work, but they can be cute, but I don't know that they work. It's like a speed limit sign. A lot of people will take that as a suggestion. So if the unplugged thing is just a nice idea, then the sign is also a nice idea. But if the unplugged idea is really important to you, then you might want to try it in combination with the next idea. And that is having your officiant announce that this is the beginning of the ceremony. Sort of like at a movie theater when on the screen it shows someone silencing their cell phone. But in this case, your officiant will actually be the person, like in person, telling them to do it. This might work. I've seen it work better than just a sign. I'll give it that much. <laughs> I'd say the best way to truly get an unplugged ceremony is to probably use a combination of the sign and the officiant. Other than that, to, you know, guarantee that no one will open their phones, I feel like you would need, like, cell phone police, like, wandering through the aisles of your ceremony, catching people. <laughs> Obviously, I don't think that will happen. <laughs> so that's all for the ceremony expectations. I'm sure there are probably more expectations, but that's just an idea. And now we're going to go on to the beginning of the ceremony. Let's talk about seating your guests. So the tradition was to have ushers escort the guests down the aisle and seat them on either the bride's side or the groom's side. But that tradition has faded quite a bit from what I've seen recently. So decisions you'll have to make about that. Will you have ushers to escort your guests into their seats? And will you have a bride's side or a groom's side? Or will you let people sit wherever they want? From my experience, if you aren't going to use ushers or the sides, then your guests are probably going to go ahead and seat themselves on whichever side they want anyways. But that's just something that you'll have to decide on. I'd say if you are going to have a bride's side and a groom's side of the seating, that ushers are helpful or a sign could also probably tell them where to sit too. So probably not a huge deal there. So now on to the <laughs> professional, processional of the ceremony. Here's the order that I think I usually see. I hope so. If I'm wrong, sorry. The guests are seated. Then the officiant or priest enters. Sometimes they enter with the groom and sometimes the groomsmen, but sometimes the officiant enters alone. See, this is a really detailed list. <laughs> then the grandparents are escorted in. 
Then the parents are escorted in. Sometimes the groom's parents will be escorted by the groom himself. I always think that's a cute touch. And then the bridal party enters. Sometimes the bridesmaids walk in with the groomsmen in pairs. Other times they walk in individually. Or if, like we mentioned earlier, the groom and groomsmen enter with the officiant, then maybe just the bridesmaids walk down the aisle. Next up are the ring bearers and the flower girls with all their cuteness. If they're included, those are often left off of the ceremony ideas. And then the bride is usually, well, probably last. <laughs> and she's escorted down the aisle or walks herself down the aisle. And usually the tradition is that all the guests would stand at this point. So there are many opinions for order, or I bet there are anyways, but if you're trying to organize your ceremony entrances, hopefully that's just an easy list that helps. So let's take a minute to talk about the ring bearers. When I got married, I really did want to trust our two ring bearers with our actual wedding rings. They were young boys, but they weren't toddlers, and I thought it was sort of silly to have them walk down the aisle without actual rings. But my relatives, the parents of the ring bearers, and my future husband, now husband, very much disagreed with me and did not want to trust the ring bearers with the real rings. I think I get it. So I actually ended up buying fake rings to tie on the pillows that they carried down the aisle. My mom was sweet and she made these pillows and like put lace from her own wedding dress on the pillows. So those pillows were actually really important. But Pillows aren't always a thing. I've seen ring bearers become more like sign holders down the aisle, and it says something cute like, here comes your girl, Uncle Brad, or if, if the little boy's a nephew, <laughs> or don't worry, ladies, I'm single. So there are a few cute ideas there. And then I've also just seen ring, seen ring bearers just walk down the aisle because they're adorable. I've also seen a wide variety of who fills the role of being the ring bearer and the flower girl. Obviously, I think it used to just be like the little kids, but I have seen a grandpa ring bearer and a grandmother flower girl or a mother flower girl. So I think it's fair game now on whoever you want to use for that. You just have to hope they say yes when you ask them. <laughs> and then I have a couple like fun or different ideas I've seen in the last year. So this first one came from the fall and the groom had one of his friends be like a groom's flower boy basically or like i don't know like you know how the flower girl enters before the bride like this person entered before the groom and i don't really know what the title was obviously but his friend entered before the groom and he walked down the aisle and tossed flower petals he actually made it quite the show and it was really lighthearted and fun and he basically like danced down the aisle and threw flowers and like i think it was just flowers like everywhere and it was really fun and set like a really lighthearted tone for the ceremony and then it was something else, and then the flower girl, and then the bride. <laughs> Another idea I saw on Instagram this last year was to have drink bearers or drink sharers. Also, don't know the title. So this is only going to work for a certain type of crowd that would actually enjoy this and not think it's weird or tacky. But basically, you would have a couple like ushers or people walk down the aisle with a cart of beers or fun drinks to pass out to the guests who wanted one before the ceremony. Kind of like selling snacks at a ballpark, but like the guests can just like raise their hand and someone will bring them a drink. <laughs> so I can't see this going over well in like a Catholic mass. I am like 10,000% kidding. I don't even know if I should have said that, but obviously that's not happening there. But if you're having some sort of fun, non-traditional outdoor wedding or venue ceremony, then 
it could work if your venue and your catering drink service allows it. Obviously, the guests don't necessarily need drinks at this point. It's not like they're expecting that. They're about to be wined and dined the rest of the night anyways, but just a funny idea. Hopefully no one hates me for sharing it, but as a photographer, I'm like, I would think that's unique to photograph. <laughs> okay, so that was all the escorting. The next stages of the ceremony are usually the giving away of the bride. So the officiant asks who gives this bride to be married to this man, and then the bride's dad or the bride's parents say something and give her a hug. Sometimes people skip this too. Definitely just a tradition. Then usually this is followed by a prayer or a blessing. Sometimes that happens before the giving away of the bride too. Obviously I'm talking more of the order of the ceremony now and it's all super steeped in tradition. So know that I'm not saying this is the one right way to do things. And then after the bride is entered and she settled, she's all settled in for the ceremony, she'll probably pass her bouquet to the maid or matron of honor. And then that person or that person will pass the bouquet down, but they need to fluff the train of her dress. The train is like the excess part of the dress that sets out all pretty. And yes, for ceremony pictures, it matters that that train looks perfect. So this works differently for every dress, but since I fluff a lot of dress trains for portraits, yes, fluff is my technical term here. Just kidding. I'm sure there's a better word for it, but here's how I do it. And this is my advice for anyone who needs to fluff the train of a wedding dress. I try to grab the dress with both hands apart. So you're holding like a majority of the gown and then make sure you're holding each of the layers in each of your hands or this won't work at all. Then raise and lower the dress. It's best to catch just a little bit of air under it. Like those parachutes that we all used in like the elementary school gym class, the air underneath will actually help spread out the layers naturally. But don't raise it too high, the guests don't need to see the garter or anything, but that's just my advice for when it comes to fluffing the train. After that, there can be readings of scripture or poems. This is a fun way to involve other family members or friends to be part of your ceremony. And then usually the main message, sometimes a sermon or just a story follows. So this absolutely depends on the religious affiliation and connection in your ceremony and your officiant too. I've seen whole sermons given that are really long and based out of scripture, and I've seen the officiant just share some fun special details of the couple's love story before the vows. So I just want to restate that there's no right or wrong way to do it here, um, but that's just kind of the next part of the ceremony that I can categorize that I see. So then it's probably time to exchange the vows. I'm going to stop here and say props to you all who write your own vows. That is a huge task and they're always so, so sweet to hear and usually like have some really unique and cute and adorable features of them too. So personally, we did not write our own vows, my husband and I, because Austin is way too good with words and I am way, way, way not too good at all with words. <laughs> so I was not about to subject myself to reading something I tried to write wholeheartedly for him in front of everyone at our ceremony. And as I was writing it, I writing that part of the outline, I realized that that's kind of funny because now I have a podcast where you, whoever is listening, is listening to a lot of my words. So that's kind of weird. <laughs> but know that I was too chicken to write our own vows. But you might share your own written vows or repeat after the officiant. I've also seen people share vows and then repeat. So that's probably an order thing too. I bet officiants like know more on that than I do. Then after the vows usually comes the exchanging of the rings. 
So your best man or your maid of honor will hand those to the officiant. Cue the moment. Is This is why it's so important to get the rings to the right person before the ceremony so there's no scramble. I've seen groomsmen do the funny like, I don't know where the ring is. And that's kind of funny sometimes, but <laughs> always nerve wracking too. So as you exchange these rings, you'll probably repeat your vows again. So side note, if you are at this point in your ceremony and you are still feeling nervous about being in front of everyone, make a mental note that when you've made it this far, you're almost done. <laughs> and another side note, it is helpful to help your partner know which hand and finger to put the ring on because they're also standing up there in front of all the people facing you. So your left hand is on their right side. And so it's just hard to pick out the hand and the finger and it can be confusing in front of a crowd. So just help them out a little bit. <laughs> so I guess more side notes. We're just really going to going on the side notes here. I've also seen a lot of different opinions on what the bride should do with her engagement ring during the wedding ceremony. So I've seen brides wear the engagement ring on the right hand and then they switch it over later after the ceremony. Personally, I wore my engagement ring on my left hand ring finger the whole time. And then when we exchanged rings, we just put the wedding band on like on top of it or like after my engagement band. So it was on the outside. And then I just switched them later. I think there is some sort of tradition like the wedding ring is closest to your heart because that's the wedding ring, not the engagement ring. I don't know, probably very deep tradition there. But to me, the order personally didn't matter very much for the day. And so I was fine. I just wanted to have my ring on. I've also seen other people like literally have like a bridesmaid, like hold their engagement ring or something for the ceremony. So just maybe think about that beforehand. And if you have a strong preference or if your family like mom does or something like that. And if you aren't adding a wedding band to the engagement ring, then no problem there. Your engagement ring will be what you guys exchange. And then after the rings, at least I think it's after, there can be a unity ceremony or symbol, something like that. I think it's a unity ceremony. So here are a bunch of ideas that I've seen done. The most traditional that I know of, at least that I know like my parents did and everything, are using two candles that light a new candle, symbolizing like two separate lives becoming one. And then I've seen two colors of sand poured into a new container, like layered and pretty. The idea is that you can't separate the sand after that. And then I've seen couples plant a plant or a tree. And one of the more special times I've seen this is when they said that they gathered the soil from each of their family's homes. So like literally to like two families becoming one or two homes becoming one. So that was a cute idea. I've also seen wine mixing or whiskey mixing, <laughs> and I've also seen chord braiding. So that's like the three chords on a like plaque and then a chord symbolizes each of you and then God, and you braid that all into one strand. There is a hand fasting ceremony. You'll have to Google that to see it. A lasso ceremony, which I think might, I don't know what type of ceremony that is specifically. I thought it was a Catholic thing, but now I've realized I haven't seen it in a lot of Catholic weddings, so I don't know. And then there's cir oh, circling. So I've seen that in Jewish ceremonies. It's such a beautiful symbol. And then creating an anniversary capsule where like maybe you write letters to each other for your first and fifth and 10th and 50th anniversaries or something. And then you seal it in a box with some wine to open up later. And then I've seen a branding where you like 
create a new brand for your new family and like brand a board or probably something cool. So those are just a few ideas. If you've seen or have any other unity ceremony ideas that you want to share, you can just message me on Instagram and I'll have to update my list and share that in another episode too. And then after the unity ceremony, if it happens, like this is also commonly skipped too, but I've seen couples take communion together and pray together. And this can be combined in the same time as the unity ceremony too. Another idea here I've seen is that they've invited the parents of the bride and the parents of the groom to come up on stage or to the ceremony area and pray over the couple in a special moment. And then I've also seen couples sign the marriage license during the ceremony. This totally depends on how your ceremony is planned and if it fits well, but it can be a good way to make sure your marriage license gets signed. Definitely have witnesses and then you don't have to worry about it later, but that's just an idea. So after that, there's usually maybe one more group prayer or some sort of a blessing or a reading, and then it is your first married kiss and the guests will cheer. (laughs) If for some reason the order of your ceremony looks wildly different than this, maybe let your photographer know. Basically, from my experience, we just don't want to be surprised by when the first kiss takes place during the ceremony. In general, I've only seen it at a different time during Catholic masses, and so whenever I go to photograph those, I just make sure to check in with whoever is running it and just be like, when is the first kiss? Because that's an important moment that you don't want like a side photograph from, like you want it straight on because you want to see what it was. (laughs) So let's introduce a new idea now. It is a ceremony exit. So we all have seen or are familiar with the gorgeous sparkler exits at the end of receptions. They're super fun. Something no one tells you about the end of your reception is that a lot of your guests will leave early. So if you were to do some sort of exit during your ceremony, at least you know all of your guests would be there. So here are some ideas. And yes, this is obviously impacted because I'm a photographer and I think these are all cute and fun photo ideas. (laughs) So for an outdoor ceremony, one of the coolest ideas I've seen on Instagram lately is biodegradable confetti cannons. I saw it in a video, probably from like carrots and cake, my favorite wedding resource or like wedding wire or something, but looked amazing. I'm sure it's super expensive, but if you're having some sort of like outdoor ceremony where that's allowed and you can afford it, like go for it because I bet it'd be super cool. Okay, another ceremony exit idea is that you hand out flower petals or dried flowers to your guests. That's funny. In my notes, I write them as guests. Just kidding. Um, To toss over you as you exit. So it's like you have the first kiss, you walk back down the aisle, and all your guests toss flower petals over you. I've also seen lavender used here, and I love lavender. It smells great, but it also can get everywhere, including like in between pieces of your hair. And so if you have more portraits to take after, can be a problem. I've advised people to do lavender and then I realized what a problem it was. So this is me letting you know. (laughs) So if you're going to do this sort of a ceremony exit, make sure that your guests know what these are for, like when they get handed the flower petals or whatever. Have a planner tell them or have it written down somewhere. You could even have your officiant be like, now we're going to shower the couple in flowers. I don't know. (laughs) But I basically, I've seen the couple go to exit And all the guests are cheering and just like standing there holding this small cone of flower petals like it's their party favor. So it's not always intuitive. You might need to tell them. (laughs) And if none of those ceremony exit ideas work or are allowed or you just don't like it, maybe just for a cute photo, consider stopping when you're halfway down the aisle 
or almost all the way down the aisle and just giving another kiss. If you want to be real fancy, like do a dip kiss or something cute that could just make for a fun photo memory and like an exit type of photo when you don't always have a photographer there when you're actually exiting the reception. And this last thing will eventually bridge us into the reception episode, but I think that's in like two episodes, but I wanted to mention briefly receiving lines. So it used to be the traditional effort is that the couple would leave the ceremony and go stand outside and all the guests would walk by and like say hi and greet the couple. And so this is like, the intention is so that the couple would greet each one of their guests. And I photographed a handful of these. And I think I'll have to make an episode about this one day about like receiving lines and when to greet your guests specifically so that couples and their parents, because I see a lot of misunderstandings or disagreements between the couple and the parents about when they greet their guests. So I'll make an episode so that it explains more about when guests are commonly greeted through the weddings. But basically, kind of the general idea now, it sounds bad, but I couldn't figure out a better way to write it is that the couple basically like leaves the ceremony and goes off and like signs the marriage license and then kind of hides or like stays away from the guests right after the ceremony. But they do this in an effort so that the guests leave and like go hang out at the cocktail hour and that the couple can go finish all the portraits that they need to, like family pictures and bridal party pictures and some other couples pictures. And the goal is usually to do that so that we free up the last bit of the cocktail hour for the couple to go rejoin the guests and start greeting them. It's 100% optional and all about opinion, but know that a receiving line can be a big, big, big time commitment. So I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm going to do an episode about that because it just needs to be stated. (laughs) So that was the whole ceremony process. And then here are some of the extra pieces of advice that didn't really fit into the timeline. So during the ceremony, don't lock your knees. This isn't something that I have to think about often because I move around so much during the ceremony as the photographer, but make sure that everyone knows to stand tall, stand up straight, but don't lock their knees. Like remember all those like elementary school musical concerts when like a kid would pass out and it'd be all awkward. (laughs) So this also goes along with not drinking too much before the ceremony, but also making sure that you do have some water Basically, we just don't need anyone passing out before the ceremony. And then I wanted to briefly touch on the idea of including a pet, specifically like dogs in the wedding ceremony. I've only seen this go really smoothly, probably like one or two times ever. (laughs) So generally the dog or dogs are pretty darn nervous about all the people around and they kind of end up causing some chaos. So the dog's Also, just to know that dogs commonly want to stand or sit on the wedding dress because, you know, you're their person and they want to be close to you. And then they also tend to stand or sit facing the person holding their leash. So when you have these ceremony pictures, it's going to be full of very cute dog butts and tails. (laughs) So just reality there. I'm not 100% pro or against this either way. Like I've said, I've seen some very cute ways to involve dogs in ceremonies and I've also seen some like fat lips when the dog like jumped up and hit someone or I saw a dog bite someone so (laughs) they just get a little bit more nervous around all those people so I just like to make sure that you're aware of that up front so I think that's about all I have to share about wedding ceremonies I hope this episode was really helpful for you And if you know a friend or someone who's currently planning their own wedding ceremony, then maybe think about sharing this with them. 
Also feel free to message me on Instagram or share it in your stories that you listened and we can chat about the wedding things together. And it's just kind of nice to know that people actually listen to these episodes too. (laughs) So yeah, thanks for listening to another episode. I'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. You can find links in the description of today's episode in the show notes below and on the blog. If you loved the episode or know someone who would, feel free to share this with a friend or tag me in your Instagram stories. You can find me at taylornicolephotography underscore. I'll be back next week with another episode. And as always, I hope you leave here feeling encouraged and inspired.